Welcome to the Redemptions Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information, feel free to visit our website, redemptionshill.com. Uh, we've been kicking off 2021 uh, in a series that we have called uh, Vital Christianity. Uh, we are on that third message in that series uh, this week. And the big idea or the overarching focus so far in that series has been to look at what exactly uh, does it take to find life and joy and substance and meaning in your faith? But we're doing that in a very specific way. We're not kind of asking each other popcorn back and forth. What, is, what does it look like for you or what does it look like for you? We're looking to scripture because scripture is very much not silent about the tenets and the postures of the heart that are uh, needed and required in order to have depth in the faith. So we're going to do that. And while we're doing that, we're trying to manage well the, the tension of the great danger that all of us can fall into, that all of us are susceptible to in our faith, and that is the danger of going through the motion. So what does it take to find depth and meaning, uh, and then also acknowledging that, that we have this kind of pull towards towards checking out and having our heart not be a part of what we're doing. It's, it's easy to kind of get into these patterns where external habits or rituals or routines with your, your physical body uh, kind of happen surrounding your faith, but none of of those things at some points uh, can can kind of touch your heart and don't affect you in internally, and that's kind of what we're trying to fight off. There is a way to do things, to be extremely busy in your faith, and you're you're doing a whole lot, and, and there's a lot of emotion. There's a way to do all that while still maintaining kind of a, a cold, disconnected, uh, maybe distant or unaffected heart, and, and that's what we're talking about. That's a scenario that we want to avoid, especially after a hard year that we've had in 2020, we really want to acknowledge that and fight that off moving into this year. There was a quote that we let out with two weeks ago from Ray Ortlund Sr., and I think it'll be helpful to ground us again today uh, in in this message, and that quote is this, half-hearted Christians are the most miserable people of all. They know enough to feel guilty, but they have not gone far enough with Christ to be happy a profound way of of putting it. What Orloon Sr. is saying is, is to do Christianity, to do your faith with a less than fully engaged heart will ultimately lead you to a place of misery. It, it may seem like or feel like the, the path of, of least resistance, but maybe that kind of attempted shortcut actually robs you from the good stuff in your faith, which is finding deeper water with Christ and contentment and meaning in Jesus. Now, now we want to be fair. We don't always get into half-hearted Christianity on purpose, right? I, I don't ever remember myself saying out loud, you know what, this week or this month, I'm mailing it in. I'm doing nothing. I'm going to do the, the least amount that, that I need to. I, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do my moral and kind of ethical obligations. I'll go to church. I'll sing songs. I'll sit, stand, amen, and then I'll just kind of I'll peace out. N- nobody really does that. It's normally a lot more gradual than that where one decision after another, we, we choose other things to give our hearts attention to and, and our time to and our interest to. And, and before we know it, our heart becomes fully occupied with things outside of Christ or our faith. And, and where our faith used to stand, there, there is left just kind of this ruin, right? Where beauty once was, but now it's just hollow and empty. 
that's what we're trying to fight off. The precise flow of the first two weeks, and, and if you'll watch through the series, there's gonna be a flow the whole way through. The, the flow of the first two weeks has, has been this. Vital Christianity is wholehearted Christianity that bears fruit by abiding in Christ. The, the framing up of that is easy enough theoretically, I think. Um, we find joy in life as King Jesus nourishes our hearts. Through him, we're guided, we're, we're, we're strengthened, we're molded, and in that we bear fruit, much fruit actually, Jesus says. We've got to make sure that our hearts understand that and let that sink in. King Jesus has a better plan to make your heart fruitful than you do. And then he has the power and the resume to, to kind of back that kind of statement as well. I can easily forget that, especially when things get busy or hectic, which they have been both in the last several months. Now, we've made it clear that our hope in this series from the first message on is to return to the Lord with our whole hearts. Not, not part of our heart, not part of our time, with our whole hearts. And we wanted to hear the gentle call from Christ to come back and abide in him. But that still leaves this necessary question, okay, what does that mean? Right, what does it look like? What does one practically do or not do in order to abide or return to Jesus? And that's what we want to look at this week. We want to focus pragmatically on if you're going, hey, my heart hasn't been all in and I haven't been abiding. So like, what does that mean? Well, this week will show you a key rhythm for vital Christianity abiding in and having your whole heart in your faith is going to be this rhythm of true repentance. True repentance, repentance is a word that may do something in your heart though when you hear it. True repentance is a non-negotiable for vital Christianity. That is to say, make sure we tackle it both ways. Uh, we cannot be wholeheartedly in our faith and we cannot abide in Jesus and we cannot bear fruit and we cannot be sanctified, changed, or find depth in our faith without true repentance. It's not possible but I wonder how you feel about that. Because that assertion can be difficult. Right? What emotions does it stir in you to hear statements like true repentance is non-negotiable to your faith? What comes to mind even personally when you hear the word repentance? For some, repentance feels like a punishment. Or, or, or like a heavy-handed rule over you. Like maybe, maybe as a kid you had too early of a curfew and it kind of feels like that. Like this unneeded limitation placed on you that, that, that's just going to kind of steal your fun and your joy. Maybe repentance stirs in you feelings of, of shame and anxiety. Or maybe if you'd be honest, when you hear the word repentance, it does nothing to you because you don't ever repent. Either way, it's a really good idea to process how we feel about repenting before we go much further, especially if it's necessary for us to have a healthy faith. Uh, faith. So we're going to go into a text today and dig into this more. Uh, as we read this text, it's in Hosea uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Here's what we, under, we need to understand. Over this text, the large theme of the text is repentance. But then the text that we're reading is split into two blocks. Verses one through three will be the first block and four through six will be the second. And what we need to know about this and why it's important is that first block is going to be God's people knowing that they've sinned 
and acting to try and deal with that sin, right? So, so the first three verses, it's how we deal with biblically our sin often. And, and then in the end, you're going to see with what is God's response to the way that we can deal with our sin, right? So what, what we say and do, what God says and does about what we say and do concerning our sin. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, let's tackle this. This is the people of God. They've known that they've sinned. They say this, come let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he'll raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that, sh- that water the earth. This is the people of God in their sin. Now God. God says this, what shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. Here, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the word of the Lord. Hosea is an Old Testament book in this section called Minor Prophets. This book deals with God's people. They're referred to as Israel in the Old Testament. In Israel, God's people are constantly unfaithful all the time. All the time, they're constantly uh, unfaithful. And God, despite their unfaithfulness, surely does all of these things to call them back to himself over and over and over again. So in Hosea, what you're going to see is this kind of uh, almost frustrating pattern of an unfaithful people. And what Hosea will do is it will relate to uh, the unfaithful people of God through a number of images concerning family and nature, saying Israel is like a promiscuous wife, an indifferent mother, an illegitimate child. Israel, God's people, she's like an ungrateful son, a stubborn heifer, a silly dove, a luxuriant vine and grapes in the wilderness. This is imagery that's unmistakable. God's people continue to be unfaithful and obstinate, yet those traits still don't exhaust God's love towards them. They continue to be unfaithful. He continues to be faithful. So catch the flow of the text that we read on the front side, those, those first three verses. In the front side, God's people, Israel, they knew that they had messed up. They had sinned. This is a cycle or scenario that was not new to them. It was kind of what they did. It was their dance with God. They once again dealt faithlessly with God and chased their idols, their other loves, and their sins. And now, as they know that they have gone astray, they realize, oh, we're there again. We need to repent. We all probably understand what this moment feels like. Maybe you get caught. Maybe you get called out by someone, or maybe things have gone so sideways that you just simply can't deny that you're sinning anymore, and and something has to be done. This is where they're at. They're entrenched in sin, and they're going to kind of deal with it. But, But look at how the people deal 
with their sin. Look at how they deal with it in the text. What they do is they acknowledge, okay, something's off, right? We're not perfect right now. And then their immediate response to their sin is three different words or three different phrases that all start with let us. Let us, okay, we know we've done something wrong. Let us return to the Lord. Let us know him. Let us press on to really, really know the Lord more. They deal with their sin by saying, all right, all right, guys, we've really messed this thing up. Get up, let's go fix it. Uh, yeah, things are not right. God has torn us, but, but it's okay. So he can heal us. He struck us down and he will bind us up. So, so come on, let, let's, let, let's own this. Let, let's take our punishment like, like men and women. Let's get up. Let's take care of our business. Where we are at sucks right now, but God will fix it. And he will love us if we get up and we just, we own it. They even put a time frame on their owning it though. If you look at the text, we messed up. It's okay though. In two days, if we're really, really sorry, if we press in, if we're really adamant, if we really, really mean it this time, if we pause the wrong things and kind of set them aside, if if we do that for just two days, God will revive us. He'll take away the pain or the consequences from us. And hey, on the third day, he'll raise us up. Saying on three days of adamant sorry, we'll be square. It'll be good. Two days will be kind of better. Three days will be all the way better. The text on the surface, though, like when you first read it, it seems encouraging and good. Right? Like, like the people are doing a good job. They, they say they want to know God more. That's a marker that has to be good. They even put a confession of faith in the text, but note there's no confession of sin. What do they say? God will surely come to us. Like, like, like the, the seasonal rain that grows, God will surely come around again. If two or three days of seriousness, we show him, he'll return back to us just like those spring showers. But, but here's the problem with that. God never left. They did. Oh, God will come back. God didn't sin. They did. And they deal with their sin not through confession of sin, not through lament, not with rending of hearts, if you remember the, the first message from this series, or, or they don't even deal with their sin by, by examining their heart. They deal with their sin by acknowledging something's off. I, I probably wasn't perfect back then. And then they shift into production mode. I'm gonna go do a lot to undo what I did wrong. When you look at those verses, note, there's no mention of what they did. There's no mention of a confession. There's no contrite heart. There's there's not even an ounce of remorse. There's just like in two or three days, we'll be fine if we just go do our stuff. What we realize is they have an almost robotic auto-response of the heart. Hey, we better go work this out. Get up. Come on. Put your work clothes on. We better go fix this. Now, what we have to realize about what they did is they did not practice true repentance. What they did is they practiced penance. Penance. What we have to understand is we don't do penance. We repent. Can can you see the difference there a little bit? Penance is, is almost working off of a sin through adding religious activity to what you're doing. 
or just dealing with a sin through, through immediately starting to react to it by swinging uh, really from, from, from doing something bad to something really good to even it out. You know, I've done something bad, so I'm gonna add more religious stuff to my life to even out the bad that, that I did. I'm gonna swing the pendulum from, from sinful to saint by, by, by working my tail off to prove that I'm sorry. I, I wonder if you've ever done that. I wonder if your response to your sinfulness has ever been uh, this. You, you shift into production mode. I did something wrong, I better go. I better get up, I better take care of it. If you hear that question and think, man, no, I don't do that. That's not how I respond. I just say, okay. But God's people throughout all of history did this. So you have to understand, and I have to understand, this is not a problem that certain types of people have. It's more of a problem that believers struggle with at certain times in their life. So if you're not doing it right now, amen to that. Yes, great, I'm very happy for you. Please don't think that you could never do that though. Because there's something in our heart that always makes us want to go back to that. And, and what's so tricky about falling into penance instead of true repentance in life is, is it's kind of hard for our heart to diagnose that we're doing it, especially if we're kind of walking alone and not sharing our sinful tendencies with anyone. What do I mean? Just like the text on the surface seemed, right? You read those first three verses and you're like, man, that's great. It looks like there's a win there. For us, when we feel the weight of our sin and we respond by doing something, we can kind of automatically assume, well, because I'm doing quote unquote something, I'm headed in the right direction. Right? Because I'm doing something, because I'm responding, that response has to be good. And what do we do to kind of validate that? Well, we'll look at other people and we'll look at their sin. We'll see people who are glorifying their sin. We'll see people who are validating their sin and validating other people's sin and almost celebrating and God's loving and it's cool and they're not dealing with their sin at all. So when we compare a person like that to the you who's reacting in some way to your sin, it's really easy to think, man, I'm doing really good. I'm really serious. I'm going to press on. But here's the issue. Penance is, is horizontal in nature. What does that mean? It involves you and God, or it involves you and a response, sorry. It, it, it can involve you and other people, right? So you can, you can corporately perform penance with other people. You and other people respond, but the problem is that is you collectively respond while God's really not a part of that process. God, the heart, the reason that, you're sin, that you sin aren't really needed in penance because penance's main goal is really just normally to feel relief of the consequences of what you've done wrong or to make you feel better in your mind about what you've done. Why? Because it trades good behavior in the now for bad behavior in the past, and then you just kind of feel better. I'm evening it out. What we have to understand about that, that, that horizontal, uh, I will respond to my sin by, by, by doing something, and because I've done something good here when I did something bad there, and things will be okay. That's karma, that's an Eastern religion, goes around, comes around, balance out the scales. We don't practice that. We're, we're Christians. Now, true repentance, on the other hand, is, is vertical. God and man are both involved. Do you understand God not involved, God involved? See, in true repentance, we aren't just looking for relief 
from the consequences or the way that we feel, we're looking to return to God. We aren't just looking to get out of trouble. We, we want to get back to God because we know that sin separates us relationally from the communion that we can have with God. In true repentance, we aren't trading good behavior for bad behavior. We're submitting to the God who over and over and over again acts well on our behalf. In true repentance, hear me, we're not as worried about the consequence of what we've done as the significance of what we just did. Right? Meaning we don't just want to get out of trouble and true repentance. We want to know why did I sin in the first place? And we deal with that. That is a huge marker of true repentance that can't be missed. You want to know why you did it so you don't do it again. Pastor Bob Thune puts it this way. He's super helpful with repentance. Penance looks to mow down the weeds. R- repentance wants to dig up the root of your sin. You understand that? Penance looks to, I'm just going to cut it down. I'm going to cut down the weeds. I'm going to cut down the bad stuff and it's going to be flush and it's going to be good. True repentance isn't okay with that. It wants to dig up the root so it doesn't grow again. If you know me or you've been in my backyard, you know I hate yard work. I hate it. Um, So the metaphor here, I understand this. Like my whole backyard is weeds. There may have been a time that I had grass there one year, but that's long gone. My whole backyard is weeds, and they're so thick that if they're freshly cut down, you may actually think that it's grass, but it's not. It's weeds, all weeds, and I just keep chopping them down, or if I'm honest, paying someone else to chop them down because I hate mowing. I'm fine with that. Example still holds. I don't like the sight of weeds in my yard, so I opt for a quick fix for those. Chop them. I chop them down, and I pretend by the chopping them down that I've fixed the issue. Uh, this is how we often treat our sin, though. We treat the symptom or the sight. We deal with the nagging image that presents itself and nothing else. Instead of actually dealing with the root underneath so that the weed will not grow anymore, right? Because we just horizontally mow in a season or two or a week or two, the weed's going to pop back up. Maybe, maybe this time it was six months instead of six weeks, but mowing the weeds down will not make it go away. Some point, at some point it's going to come back. If this idea of dressing the root is new to you, I, I hope it's not. We've talked about it a lot in our missional communities. We've, we've talked about it in, in uh, gospel-centered life. We've, we've talked about it in, in talks over uh, gospel fluency, which several of our communities have, have gone through. But if, if that's new to you, addressing the root is prioritizing the, the, the root over the fruit when you sin. Right? Cute little saying, but it holds true meaning you treat the cause of the sin instead of the symptom that popped out because of your sin. Because when we deal with the the cause, we also deal with the symptom where later it won't come back. What's the low-hanging fruit example that we've talked about a lot about this? The Bible tells us, do not lie because it's a sin. There's a lot of things that are debatable right now. Um, Even children know you're not supposed to lie. Right? we represent our Father who is truth, right? So it's not debatable, but here's, here's what we need to understand. The, the, the call for someone not to lie is really too simple because lying is a weed. It's a simple or it's a symptom, meaning that there's a, there's a reason that you lie. 
some people lie to get places in life, right? To advance themselves, to close a deal, to get more power, to, to get the next job, to get the next promotion, to make their resume look better. Some people will lie and all of their lying is completely about getting more power. I had a boss years ago who I saw him bold-faced lie to people's faces to close deal and make money for himself. That person lies for power. Some people lie to keep approval. Right? They, they cannot bear with you thinking less of them. So they don't think of it as lies. I should say we don't think of it as lies. We, we just kind of mold and, and we craft the truth into something that's not quite actually what's there. Right? We make ourselves sound a little better. We, we, we make the bad sound a little not as bad and the good sound a whole lot better. But we, we kind of always will, will change the story and will lie in order to keep affirmation from people. And what we have to understand is this type of lie is a lie out of fear of man. You desire men and women to look at you well, so you will lie to keep them in a spot where they look at you well. And some people lie to keep control. They cannot handle not being able to manipulate the, the, the circumstances around them. So they will lie in order to keep control over a situation. Maybe they call them white lies or maybe they consider them good lies because I just know better than you. But some people will lie to keep control now, what is that? that that's lie, lying for the purpose of control. Notice those are, those are three different roots or heart issues that all led to the same fruit of lying. So you can't just say, I'm, I'm going to not lie, and lying is the problem. You've got to look under and go, what's the heart idol underneath of the lie that produced the weed, and I need to dig that thing out so, so that I don't lie again. True repentance wants to turn from sin by turning to God for help, though. For help with digging out doubt or digging down into the heart to get that root out. True repentance also wants to get from God what you are going to that sin to get. Does, does that make sense? You're not just trying to get out of trouble. You're going, there's a reason that I did that sin. I want to learn through the gospel to go to God for that need instead of that other thing. Instead of leaving God for it, I want to learn to go to him for it. What does this look like in, in these lying cases? Instead of needing power to feel significant, we go to God and say, God, my insecurity makes me want to fight to be better than other people. I need you. Will you help me? Will you calm my heart? Will you give me your peace and, and, and help me understand that you are enough no matter my station in life? Instead of fear of man crushing you, it, it looks like going to God, going, God, your gospel says that I'm fully loved and adopted and I will never be cast out if I am in you. Will you help me to believe in that so much so that, that I don't look for other people not to like me, but if they don't like me, I'm not crushed anymore. God, will you help me? Or instead of needing control and lying to keep it, going, God, You've had a better plan for my life than I did. You came and got me while I ran in my sin, and that was good. Will you help me trust you with the other stuff as well? Will you help me give control over to you and not be a, a, a one who needs to have a God complex where I always have to control everything around me? See, this is why true repentance is vertical because God has to be involved to get at the root. And furthermore, God is the one that was sinned against and the one that you're returning to. How can you repent or fix an issue if the one sinned against isn't involved? See, we go to him for help to deal with the reason that we left him in the first place. 
But that's not at all what the people did in the text on Hosea. They just got up. They started to deal with their sin through work. Not heart work, just religious work. I'm just going to do more. Have you ever done this? Maybe you haven't even noticed it about yourself. Have you ever sinned or caught yourself sinning or all of a sudden felt that rush of, of oh, crap, I did that and I shouldn't have. And you felt that rush of, of shame and you immediately go, I'm going to get up early tomorrow. I'm going to read my Bible. Fix it. Right? Or you feel bad all of a sudden on your car ride home and, and, and you're like, well, I better listen to a sermon podcast. And you like pop something on. Or maybe you catch yourself not feeling good because you know that you've sinned. You're like, I'm going to put something inspirational on Facebook. Jesus post. See, this is kind of what we do, and this is kind of what they did. They just reacted. Their reaction to their sin involved not God, not their heart. It just involved, I better double down to fix what I did wrong. This is God's response. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God sees the reaction to their sin. The adamant intention to fix it. And what does he say? What am I going to do with you? Hear kind of what's happening there. God is saying, guys, we've been here before. Again and again and again. Right? The TJ version, you act a fool. You sin. You turn to a heart idol. Then you feel really, 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 really bad about it. So bad that you promise, I'll never, ever, ever do it again. You promise that this time's going to be different and, and, and just watch, you'll see. But your love, it's like a morning cloud or the dew that, you know, it's there at first light, but as soon as a couple hours in the day roll by, it's gone. It fades away. So, so notice what the play on words here is. The, the people, they get up and they react by their sin and they kind of give this confession of faith. And because we're going to get up and we're going to know the Lord, uh, he's going to, uh, like the spring showers, he's going to he, he's gonna come and surely he'll come back and he'll, he'll rain his good graces on us again. We just need to get up and we need to be serious and he's going to be faithful to do that. And God's response is, hey, let's talk about faithful. Because your faithfulness, it's like the dew in the morning. It's so there until it's not there. Your love, it's like a morning cloud. It just fades away. Yes, you're sorry. Yes, you feel bad. Yes, you love me. And yes, you're going to do it next month again. It says, I've sent prophets to deal with this. I've spoken to you. I've even given judgments upon you to try and help you. And over and over and over, we just get back to the exact same place. Then listen to God's words. Especially if you struggle to see God as good in the Old Testament, right? He doesn't say, I'm going to leave you fools or I'm going to crush you. Instead, he just slows down and says, I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. Right? Here's the image. They're running. I better sacrifice something. It was, I want, I want your love. I, I want you to know me. 
not offer me burnt offerings. See, each time we go astray, we often like to, or, or a certain personality style definitely does this, we tend to like to become busybodies. Well, I'm, I'm going to go deal with it. Can you see the, the, the frenzied imagery here? Their, their frantic speed. I'm going to go and I'm serious and I'm going to show him, saying, God, I'm really serious. I'm going to do better. Look at how serious I am. Look at how good I'm doing. Look at, look at all the great work that I'm doing. I'm even being nice to that person that I hate. I'm owning this right now. God, look at this. And in that frantic effort, God says, hey, can you, can you put that down for a second? Can you sit down and just love me with your whole heart? Can you just sit down and be still? And as you know me and my heart and my love for you, can you understand that repentance is an invitation not to work your tail off, but it's an invitation to come and sit in the love of God and let that change you? See, they didn't, they didn't want to sit. They didn't want the heart work. They didn't want any of, of that. They, they just want to move. And God's going, slow down. Now, yes, there's work involved in repentance. But the very first work involved is heart work. You cannot repent without the heart. The heart work of sitting still, diagnosing really the idol that you are pursuing, and then asking, okay, God, help me understand how the gospel and the good news of Jesus and the good news of what you've done for me, help me understand how the gospel speaks to that idol that I was running after in the first place. Right, because what's their response? They're going to get up and do the work. And what's the gospel at a base level? Jesus stepped in to do the work that you never could. Now we have to learn to repent and believe. It's partially to turn to Jesus to believe that his work is enough to heal us and sustain us. Our response to sin has to be running to Jesus for him to help our heart, not running to do work to prove to Jesus that we actually still have a good heart. What does the gospel do? It, it outs us. You don't have to prove to him you have a good heart. He knew your heart already, and that's why he came and died. I hope that you can see the difference. Penance runs to good things. True repentance runs to Jesus. Penance tries to feel better about what you did. True repentance wants to get more of God so that you don't sin next time. Penance looks to balance things out. True repentance looks to fall into or throw yourself into grace. Church, this means penance is often what we automatically grab and do, but this means that penance is a load for you to carry, and true repentance is a way of taking off a load by understanding the character of Jesus and letting that pull out the weeds in your heart. True repentance seems like the weight, but it's actually the removal of the weight and the burden through Jesus. As we wind down this morning, I'll ask us to spend a little time thinking about it and really asking the very simple question, have you accidentally fallen into penance and not, or, or penance and not realized it? Has, has your life maybe over the last month or six or 2020 has there really not been any true repentance because of all the stuff going on? Do you always try and work off your debt instead of resting in Christ's work that he paid off your debt? 
you have to ask, do I navigate my sin through trying to modify my heart without God? Or do I ask him to help me see my heart more and why I do certain things through him so I don't do it again? See, the problem is when we don't do that, we're just going to continually go from weed to weed to weed, just trying to mow it down, and it will come back. Can you hear, even if repentance has been hard to hear about, can you hear the beauty of this text as God's literally saying, stop working so fast and sit and feel my love? That's not a capricious father who goes, slow down. Slow down for a second. See, the mistake of some is to say sin doesn't matter. Right? Here's the pendulum swing. Sin doesn't matter. God's loving. So it's fine. Right? I don't need to repent because God has paid for it all. That is the metaphor before in Hosea. That's, a, that's an ungrateful son. And that's an overcorrection. We have to understand, we can't just say sin doesn't matter. We have to think of it as sin matters, so run to God's love and let that help change you even when you've sinned. Let that unroot the idols in your heart that you like to keep hidden so that you can bear more fruit in Jesus. Here, here's the flow again. Remember, we're building. Vital Christianity is wholehearted Christianity that bears fruit through abiding in Jesus and practicing true repentance. Garrett, you can come back up. As we close in, in prayer and move into a time of, of, of worship, there's, there's just a couple questions here. They're, they're not brilliant or anything like that. There's a slide of them if you want to just make a mental note or take a picture, whatever. But I think these questions are a little bit helpful to maybe shake us out of the spot that we get. Because here's, here's the reality. We all will fall into penance at one point or another. I will and you will. If you try and deal with your sin, penance is a very real possibility for you. So maybe some questions that, that might be helpful as we, as we wrestle today and we move into a time of worship would, would be these very basic ones. When was the last time I repented? Right, just as a base level, because remember, at, at, the, at the core of our faith is still Jesus' words, repent and believe. All of life is repenting, which is turning from sin back to God. Repentance isn't a dirty word. It isn't the thing that you do to get saved and then you leave it behind. It's not the thing that good Christians don't do anymore. Repentance is a lifestyle that we, we regularly do. So just as a base level to maybe wake up your heart a little bit and mine is just asking, when's the actual last time I repented? And then move into this. What did I do? Right? That's asking what was the sin? What was the symptom? What was the weed? And then here it is. Why did I do it? Right? No hidden meaning there. What was the root? What drove me there? The functional good question for some of us to probably ask today is, well, please do not be foolish enough to think that 2020 didn't hurt you. And through a lot of our pain, we've stored up sins and other things that we've ran to. So a valid question this morning maybe is there something that God's leading me to repent of now? Is there something that I've turned to and I know that I'm in deep water? And then maybe just this morning, God would say, would you come? 
Would you come draw near? Would you come and sit? Would, would you come do some heart work with me? Because I, I believe that there's a strong possibility that there could be some things that Jesus is calling us away from and back to him. My, my, my just shepherdly call for you is if that's happening in your heart, and that normally kind of feels like this tension of like, I don't want to do that, but, but God's messing with some stuff there. Please don't ignore it. These questions are meant to be helpful. Again, because we'll never find life in our faith and we will never bear fruit, we'll never find joy in meaning if we don't ever truly repent. To turn to God with our whole heart, especially uh, concerning the sins that we have committed against him. I pray that your heart and mine bears fruit with keeping with true repentance that we keep being aggressively ones who want to be freed from our sin instead of just hide it and understand that our God is not a, a, a harsh slave master uh, who, who's cracking a whip. He is the one who says, come to me, remember, Christ has already been broken for you if your faith is in him. You can now be loved by him and let that change your heart. That's the hope that we would learn to do that. What, what would it look like if we were a people who kind of realized, man, I've never really actually repented. I've just kind of tried to navigate religiously around my sin before. And we found true repentance and a steadfast love in God. It'd be a beautiful picture and I hope for that for us. We'll take communion that's available today. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, at the table when you take... You understand when you're taking the bread and the cup, part of what you're proclaiming is, Jesus, you worked for me. Does that mean that nothing matters and there's no effort that is needed for me? Absolutely not. But in the moments that you're crushed, you take the bread and you take the cup and go, your work is perfect even when I am not. Thank you, I will remember that and I will let my heart cherish that and that'll be how I walk out of here. I pray that that's good news to you and that as you take that you would find beauty in what Jesus has done enough so that helps you want to run to him instead of away from him. Would you stand and pray with me? God, I thank you for this text. I pray that you do work in us. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. We need your work in our hearts. We need your goodness and your grace and your mercy. So I pray, Lord, that today you would do work in us. Help us understand that true repentance isn't what poor Christians do. It's what Christians do. I pray that we would find a beauty in, in, in confessing even to our brothers and sisters and, and talking through true repentance with them and growing as we run back to you, that we wouldn't be people anymore who confess sins to other people and pat ourselves on the back without running to you, but that we would begin to practice true repentance, which is running towards you and asking you to help and change our hearts. Would you do that work? Holy Spirit, draw near. Work in us and be glorified. I pray that there is beauty found at the table today by your people. We pray that in your name.